Well, good morning again, church. This week, we're continuing our series. It's our final series of the summer for the record. Final. It's only two weeks left. Um, and then we move into like fall stuff. It's crazy. Um, but we're con continuing our series of Faith Like a Child. Um, and, and just to note, uh, you know, we wanted to accomplish a couple things uh, along the way in this series. And I think if you turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew 18, starting in verse 1, you'll see that. And let me just read this to you a second. Um, it says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You know, what you immediately notice in Jesus' ministry is that one of his highest priorities in his ministry is children. He never speaks more starkly about anything else but children, it seems like. It's such a big deal for him. And you see, Jesus in this passage is talking about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And I think if, if I'm reading correctly, it looks to me what he's saying is it looks a little bit more like being a child than it does being an adult. It, you have to be a child to enter the kingdom of God. You have to be more of a child to follow Jesus. You have to understand that. When you understand that, then you'll learn to follow Jesus. In some sense, children are better equipped to follow Jesus, I think. You know, which means that, that kids in the room, if you're listening, it means that you know something about following Jesus that your parents need to hear. It's something that you get inherently about being a follower of Jesus that your parents need to hear. As a child, you get that. You know, let me just ask our kids a question, and I'm going to ask you three questions, and then I want you to just respond to your parent or family or whoever's around you, and I want you to answer with a yes or no. Are you ready for this? Kids, do you often get to decide what is for dinner? Yes or no? I heard sometimes. That's awesome. Do you often get to decide where you go on vacation? Okay. Um, do you often get to decide when you get to go to bed at night? It's a hot button topic, I think, in our homes. You know, children... They don't make a whole lot of decisions in life. Parents do a lot of it for them. Children are better equipped to follow Jesus because children are already followers. It's already what they do day in and day out. Kids have a radical dependency on mom and dad in their daily lives. Kids learn, at least most of the time, to follow mom and dad around. Follow them in the store, right? Follow them when we move to a new home. Follow them whenever we go to a new school. Follow them pretty much everywhere. How many kids actually picked out what they're even wearing today? Or was it mom and dad? I'm just saying. You know, this, it's this, though. It's this that makes kids so much more able to follow Jesus. Because kids know how to be dependent, and they know how to go with the flow, and they know how to follow in ways that us adults simply, we struggle with it. And we struggle with it because following is like, it's against an adult's DNA or something, right? We like to make our own rules, and following someone else's no thanks. Not a big fan of that. And Jesus says, well, well, actually, that's not what faith looks like. Faith looks like following. Looks like being a child. 
So uh, last week, Pastor Brian set the stage for the series, um, Faith Like a Child. And this week and then next week, we're going to have fun in the series. We have all these kids in the room, and we're going to tell some of kids' favorite stories in the Bible. And this morning, well, actually, in both of those stories that we're going to tell this week and next week, a kid is kind of the star of the story as well. And this week, we get to talk about David and Goliath. And I'm pumped. It's a great story in the Bible. Now, I just saw like half the adults' eyes go glazy in the room when I said that because you've heard this story a million times and you're like, I don't know if we need to hear it again. I promise you that if you pay attention, you will see something in the story that you have not seen before. I, I promise you, you will. So, the scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 51. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there in the Bible. 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 51. Uh, Riley Fiala, one of the kids in the room, is actually going to read scripture for us. Riley, wherever you're at, head on up to the podium there. And as she heads on up, what we do here is we stand for the reading of God's word and we face the center of the room. And I want you to think about this this morning. We're standing and giving reverence for the word of God and a child is reading for us. There's something about that. So Riley, when you're ready, go ahead. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut your head off. This very day I will give you the carcasses of that of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over to the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down and the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took a hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. So like I've said uh, before, I, I think many of us have heard this story before. Many of us have heard this story many, many times before. Before we dive into it, I want to just like take a step back and I want to put a picture on the screen. It's going to pop up now. <laughs> I don't know why it's funny. It was funny last service too. Uh, do any kids in the room know who this is? It is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He is the man right now. He is the action hero of the day. In fact, in the last 18 months, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has had five movies in theater, which is amazing if you know anything about scheduling. That is a lot of work. He is the man of the day in action movies. He's been in nearly all of them. I would argue that he just simply is the action hero of our 
day. And most of us love Dwayne The Rock Johnson because he is the symbol of what a hero should look like, right? I mean, have you seen Dwayne The Rock Johnson's muscles? They're huge. Did you know that they actually have measurements online of his muscles? It's amazing. His bicep, they measure in at 20 inches, which means nothing to you. I measured mine, <laughs> and I'm not going to share with you what that number was. But Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he's the, he's the hero of the day in film. Um, in my day, we had a different hero of the day. In my opinion, this next picture is the hero of my childhood. Good to know that Chuck Norris still gets claps. That's good. Somebody should let him know. Um, this is Chuck Norris. And Chuck Norris was amazing back in my day. He was in the best movies. He was just the greatest. He was in war zones and he was a ninja and he was everything. He didn't have the muscles that Dwayne The Rock Johnson had, but he did have a super sweet roundhouse kick to the face that every kid my age wanted to be able to do. And for the record, I still can't do it. But one day. It's a bucket list for me. But I bring up these two heroes for a reason. Because Dwayne Johnson and Chuck Norris, they symbolize something. You see, we love watching people like them on the screen because when we watch them, there's something about them and we just want to be a little bit like them. We really want to be them in some sense. It's like they're the total package and we just want to be maybe a little bit of that. Now, now, what's interesting is the David and Goliath story in the Bible, it actually subverts this super kind of action hero guy that we have in film today. It actually turns it on its head in a really interesting way. And what I want to do is I want to tell the story this morning of David and Goliath. So are you ready? So the story goes, there's these Philistines and there's these Philistines, and these Philistines have been battling these Israelites for a long time, on and off, battling and battling and battling. And then the Philistines, they realize at one point that they may have the secret weapon that's going to finally defeat the Israelites. And this secret weapon is a humongous giant man named Goliath. And Goliath is just a monster. He is ripped. He is the total package kind of guy. All the guys in the room are like, man, I wish I was a little bit more like Goliath, perhaps. Now, there's a really lengthy, um, detailed explanation or, or uh, there's an outline of basically who Goliath is in the Bible. And you can find that in 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 4, if you want to turn there in the Bible. Now, I don't think it's as exciting to just simply read about Goliath. I think it'd be better if we had Goliath on the platform this morning with us. Can I get an Amen. So I'm going to invite up this morning Goliath to the stage. This is not our youth pastor, Brett Vriesman. This is Goliath this morning. Yeah. Now listen to what this says about Goliath in 17.4. In, uh, it says, a champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span high. You guys know what that means, right? Six cubits in a span, of course. Well, if you do the math, he was nine foot nine inches tall. 
This guy was a monster. The tallest man ever recorded in history was a sheer one and a half feet shorter than Goliath is said to be in the Bible. And Goliath comes out onto the scene and he walks up to the Israelites' camp just like this. And he walks up to the camp and he says, says, hey, I'm a champion. Send me your champion and we'll have a battle. The champion that wins gets to enslave the other side. And all of the Israelites are scared. And so Goliath, this nine foot, nine inch man, he had a bronze helmet on his head. And it's very historically accurate. I'm just saying, we put a lot of time into that. He, had, he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which you guys obviously know what that is as well. It's clearly 125 pounds. His chest piece was 125 pounds, very heavy. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. Good job. And he had a bronze javelin that was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which if, if, you're, you know, if you're doing the math, that's 15 pounds. This right here was 15 pounds for Goliath. And now that's a pretty intimidating, you know, picture of this, this champion. But, but it's, it's more than that. You see, see, he was technologically savvy too, this Goliath was. You see, his spear point right here was made out of iron. And not just anyone had iron back then. Iron was a really technologically innovative thing. And so he had iron. He was a tech-savvy giant warrior. He was like the 1000 BC Iron Man or something like that, stepping up against the Israelites. Now, here's the thing. I think in many ways, Goliath represents something or someone that we want to be. I really do think so. I mean, Goliath symbolizes so much of what we desire to be as humans, right? Maybe not the height. I don't know. Maybe some short people are like, I wish I had some of that. I don't know. But Goliath, he's like the action hero all of us boys ever wanted to be. Goliath was, he's a self-made man. He did it all himself. Goliath is the man who could make his own decisions when he wanted to make those decisions. Goliath was his own force in life, and no one was getting in the way of that. Goliath was also tough, tough as nails, kind of scary probably to be around. Goliath was, he was well armored, Goliath was. And Goliath had the latest tech, and he was skilled. He was a skilled warrior as well. I mean, in some sense, Goliath embodies everything that we know of rugged individualism in the West, doesn't he? You know, the belief we can do things on our own, we can accomplish what we want on our own, and we don't need any help along the way. It's all about me and my hard work, and we're good to go. Goliath symbolizes that in every sense of the term. And so Goliath, he comes forward to the battle lines, just like that. And he stands and he shouts at the Israelites day in and day out, send your champion, send your champion and I will fight him and we'll see who wins and we will enslave the losing party. Now, Goliath, thank you. I'm going to ask you to take a seat for a second. He was amazing. Now, there's another story to tell here. There's the story of David. David. 
And, and David is a shepherd kid. Actually, in the Bible, it says that he was a shepherd of a small amount of sheep. He didn't even, probably wasn't even that great of a shepherd, it seems like. But David was a shepherd, and then he would spend his days um, shepherding his sheep and then coming to the camp where the Philistines were and the Israelites were and then supplying his brothers who happened to be on the front lines and then supplying the officers who were also on the front lines as well. Now, I want to talk about David, but I feel like it just doesn't work if we don't have like a real David up here. Amen? So why don't we invite David up onto the platform because he's actually here today. David, head on up. David, you can stand right over, right over here. Perfect. Now, David, David, it's, uh, scholars think that David couldn't have been more than 15 years old. Some say that he perhaps was even less than that. He could have been even under 10 years old when this battle happened. And, and so David comes to the front lines one day and he's got supplies for his, for his brothers and he brings them. And then as he's there, Goliath comes out and starts yelling and challenging, says, hey, bring your champion. And, and David thinks, well, I can do that. That's fine. And so he goes to King Saul. And he goes to King Saul and says, hey, I'll be your champion. And for some reason, this is amazing to me, King Saul says, okay, 10-year-old, that makes a lot of sense. We'll put our destiny in the 10-year-old's hands. That's beautiful. And he says yes. And he says, you know, just, just a handout. Here's what I'll do for you. I will give you my armor. I'll armor you up and you will be just fine then. And so, and so Saul takes this beautiful, historically accurate armor that we have here. And he puts his helmet on David. And then he takes this really nice chest piece here and he puts this on David and it fits him perfectly-ish. It's like that. And he says, hey, I'll even give you my sword, David. I'll even give you my sword. He says, here you go, David. And, and David has all this on and he's like, it's kind of uncomfortable. I'm not used to wearing stuff like this. And then he rips it off and says, I can't do this. You know what I will do instead, David says, is he says, I'll just use my slingshot. It'll be fine. And so he takes his slingshot and then he runs down to a creek bed, grabs five stones, and then heads back into battle. And here's where we get to see the battle live action. We need Goliath to come back up here a second. This is going to be incredible. And so David's here and, and Goliath is here. And then there's this moment where they start taunting each other. And I love this. Let me, let me turn to it for you a second. It, it says this in verse 41 of our passage. It says, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Glowing with health and handsome, the thing that no guy ever wants to be called, I think. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. And here's the best part. David doesn't go, oh boy, all right, I'm out of this. He says, I can talk smack. I can talk smack too. And so David goes on. 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This day I will give your carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals in the whole world. And he keeps talking smack. And then, and then he pulls out his slingshot and he rushes the line and he pulls it back and he lets loose and then chariots of fire starts playing. I swear this happens. And then the, the stone goes in slow motion. Dun, 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 dun. And then it hits Goliath right in the forehead. And then, and then Goliath goes down. Ouch. Now, Here's where a PG story goes to a rated R story. So little kids, this is going to happen today. Okay, so then David comes and he takes Goliath's sword and he picks that baby up. And it's sharp. It's not plastic. It's sharp. It's real. And then he, you know, like that happens. So here we go, David. Oh. And then David is the victor of the day, the champion, and he is celebrated among all of Israel, and everyone goes crazy. All right, David and Goliath, you can head back down. You guys nailed it. You see, Goliath, in some sense, represents who we want to be. He's the tough guy. We want to be that. We want to be the self-sufficient tough guy. But then David, well, David represents who God wants us to be in the story. You know, David is fearless against Goliath because he is wholly reliant upon God. And David's reliance upon God turns out to be the secret sauce that allows him to actually defeat Goliath. You know, the only reason that a young kid could ever beat something like a Goliath is through God, right? And and it makes me wonder, though, you know, if we take a good hard look at our lives and the decisions we make and the things that really drive us as people, you know, who do we resemble more in our lives? And, And I'm not talking physically, right? I'm talking about the stance that we hold internally toward the world. Who do you resemble more in this story? Do you look like a David? Or, or do you look like a Goliath? You know, when you look at your life, is your life marked by, you know, radical independence and self-sufficiency and building that nest egg and, and getting the highest place you can get at work and like that's what life is all about and you'll do anything to get there and no one's going to tell you what to do in your life? Or, well, or does it look more like David? who even under incredible stress and difficulty was able to fully rely on God every single step of the way. Because David knew it was God's plan. It was God's plan. He was going to submit to God's plan. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of the story because there's actually more in the story that we need to see. Are you okay if we start over? Okay, well, we're going to do it anyway. So I I need to bring Goliath back on the platform here a second. Goliath, 
Come on up, big fella. And I want to return to 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 7, if you got that. Out of all descriptions in the Bible, this is the most specific description of a character in the entire Bible. It's, it's pretty amazing. Now, it says this. It says, a champion named Goliath, who is from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, remember that. Six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Remember that, 600 shekels. You know, there's this story in 1 Chronicles 20, verses 6 through 7. It's the story of David and his armies basically taking out all these giants. And it talks about Goliath in the story. And it talks about Goliath's brother in the story. And there's this unnamed kind of monstrous guy as well. And it's interesting, the description of this one guy in the story, it says that he had six fingers on each hand. And he had six toes on each hand foot. Numbers are really important in the Bible. And they're not important for like prophecy and stuff like that, I don't think. I think they're important for another reason, because Jewish people, when they use numbers, they use them intentionally to say something about the story or the world that they lived in. And the number six, which appears a lot here for Goliath, matters. Because in the, in the, especially the latter half of the Bible, the number six is actually, it's a, it's a bad number. It's the one that you don't want. Six, it, it symbolizes evil, chaos, badness. You know, basically the opposite of godliness in the Bible. And, and Goliath gets all these sixes ascribed to him and around him. And there's something to that. You see, I think Goliath is a metaphor in this story. There's this literal story, and then there's this metaphorical story going on all at the same time. And Goliath is a metaphor for the power of evil in the world. The sixes are intentional. Now, Goliath, can you please go sit back down? Thank you. See, the story goes on. We need to continue with the David story again. All right, David, you ready? Come on up, David. So there's the story of David. And David comes, and he's the son of Jesse, and he's got his brothers in, in this war against the Philistines, and they're standing on the front lines. And David comes with supplies, and then he sees Goliath, and he says, hey, I can do that. I can, I can fight this Goliath guy. And so King Saul says, okay, well, for some reason, I'm okay with that. Let's put on all my armor. This will work for you. And he puts on the armor really quickly, just like this, and he puts it on, just like that, and then he gives him a sword. And then David says... Uh, it's not very comfortable. I don't, I don't like this. And so he tears off all the armor because he doesn't like the armor. He says, you know what, Saul, I'm just going to use my slingshot because I'm good with a slingshot. And so he takes the slingshot and he's happy with the slingshot. And then he goes to this riverbed, right? So David wanders on over to this riverbed and he finds five smooth stones in this riverbed. Now this riverbed is really important. Because a riverbed is living water in the Bible. It's this metaphor for God and God's power and God's goodness in the Bible. And then David, he takes five smooth stones from there. 
Numbers are important in the Bible. Five smooth stones is for a reason. Now, if you were to ask a Jewish person, well, what does the number five mean when I read it in the Bible? They would say, it means the first five books of the Bible. They would say, it's the books of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books, the books of the law. And so David is equipped here with these five stones from living water, from God's power. And then he has the law, which is like the access to God's power in some sense. And then he goes off to battle Goliath, who symbolizes evil. And then Goliath comes up. Come on up, Goliath. He knows what's coming. And then they banter a little bit, right? And they, they banter a bit. And then David, he runs to the front line. He rushes forward. And then he takes the slingshot. He pulls it back. He shoots. Chariots of fire. Again, do, 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 except fast motion. And then it hits Goliath right in the forehead. And the Bible actually says it doesn't just hit him. It actually sinks into his forehead, which is really interesting. Because we just heard the Shema this morning, right? The Shema is all about following God's law and having it all around you all the time. And it sinks into his forehead. And the Shema says, you know, you should take the law, you should actually take the law and you should impress it on your kids. And you should do more than that. You should actually tie it on your wrists and you should actually fasten it to your forehead, the law. And so the, the rock comes flying, the stone comes flying, and then it hits Goliath, and then Goliath goes down. Goes down. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. A rock that David would have been using at this time was like the size of a baseball. It's probably like five to 10 pounds for this rock. And so we need to, we need to rewind a second. Let's rewind a second, Goliath. Let's try this one more time. That was, that was impressive. And so Goliath, or, and then David shoots the stone. Boom, it goes, chariots of fire. It goes, and it hits him. Now, if this giant rock that weighs five to 10 pounds going at 45 miles per hour hits Goliath in the head, which way is Goliath falling? Backwards. He falls backwards, Goliath. He's going to be sore tomorrow. He's going to be sore tomorrow. But again, that's not what happens. That's what should have happened. Let's rewind again. Hold on. Get up, Goliath. We've got to do this one more time. And David here, he shoots. He scores. It hits Goliath in the forehead. It actually sticks into his forehead. And Goliath falls forward. Ouch. Now, this is an interesting picture in the story because you have David and then you have Goliath and, and Goliath is prostrate on the ground, face down. This is the kind of thing that happens when you meet a king and the king says, get down and bow before me. And now suddenly Goliath, who symbolizes what? Is submitting to David, who symbolizes what? God's power in the world. It's an amazing story. All right, you guys can head off the stage again if uh, Goliath can make it. You see, the David and Goliath story is a metaphor for the power of God in this world and how it stacks up against the power of evil in this world. 
Like when the stone is, is cast and then it hits Goliath in the head and he falls face down, he falls face down and that's a status symbol. Evil is face down when it comes to God. It doesn't stand a chance. It bows before God. It bows before Yahweh. God's power is bigger than our power, that's for sure. But God's power is even bigger than the power of evil in this world. And the moral of the story is that by David relying on God in the story, by following God's law, the five stones, right, and bringing that with him, he had access to God's power, and God's power came, and then David was able to what? Defeat Goliath, to fell a giant. Now, this doesn't mean that if we just follow God's rules well enough or something like that, then, you know, any bad thing that happens in our life, any Goliath that stands up, we'll be able to take that baby down. Sometimes it doesn't work that way, right? You know, perhaps this morning you're in a season where you're reeling from some wrong that's been done to you. Perhaps that's where you're at today, where there's a wrong that's been done to you and it just is infecting you in some sense. Maybe it's interpersonal. Maybe it's your, your spouse or maybe it's your friends or maybe it's your family and something happened, some injustice was done against you and you just don't even really know what to do about that because it seems like there's no justice in the situation. Or, or maybe you just lost your job and you did your job perfectly and they still took it from you and you just don't get it. That's unjust. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Or maybe your marriage is collapsing or it's collapsed and you've done everything you can to hold on to this thing, and it seems like there's nothing you can do, and the marriage is just going to fail, or it failed, and you're like, what in the world, God? This isn't how it's supposed to be. Or maybe, kids, your mom and dad thought you did something that you didn't actually do, and you plead with them, mom and dad, I didn't do this thing, and they refuse to believe you, and you get that sense of, this is unjust, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You know, whatever it may be, whatever wrong may have been committed against you, whatever evil may be like at your front door, whatever it may be, when you stay close to God and live in the pattern of life, follow the law that God has for us, well, you're going to be okay. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how tall the giants, right? God's bigger. And here's the deal. We may lose this battle. We may. We may even lose the next one and the next one. But we know at the end of the day that God is a God that defeats evil. Evil bows at God's feet. One day, whether it's tomorrow or a thousand years from now, God will win the day. We can rely on that. It's part of the moral of this story. Now, we missed something, though. I have to tell the story again. I know. And I kind of just want to see Goliath fall again, but that's okay. I need to invite Goliath back up. And I need you to return to 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 7, if you're there. It 
happens to be the passage describing Goliath in detail. Did I tell you that this passage, um, there is no greater detail of a character in the Bible than in this passage right here. It's a really big deal. And so we have Goliath, and Goliath is hanging out with his sword and his spear, just hanging out like that for some reason. And here's what the passage says. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Hold on. He had a a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze. Now, if you're an avid reader of the Bible or you're a historian and you've done your work, you'll notice something about this. In this time period, scale armor wasn't really used. It's interesting. There was one record of scale armor being used by one tribe that was not related to the Philistines, and they put it on their horses. In fact, it becomes popularly used with soldiers in Greek and then Roman times. And so somehow Goliath is way ahead of his time, which almost makes no sense. And it makes no sense because the writers were trying to make a different point when they wrote this down. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor. What does scale armor look like? Like a snake. It does. In fact, turn with me to Genesis 3, if you can. Genesis 3 is the classic story of the fall between Adam and Eve. They both fall after they eat from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from. And the serpent tricks them into doing the whole thing. And then afterwards, God finds out and he punishes everybody and he punishes the, the serpent. And listen to what God says to the serpent. This is in verse uh, 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. All the days of your life, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, I need you to see this in the story. So I need David to come back up. Come on, David. We're not going to tell your whole story again. It's okay. We are going to give you the slingshot back, though. We want to get back to the battle scene, right? There's this battle scene. And David rushes the line, and he lets loose, and boom, and then stone goes, and uh-oh, boom. And then Goliath falls really hard this time. I mean really hard. This falls way hard. Now, Goliath falls face down like this. What's interesting about this posture here is he's outside in the dirt. Let me read this for you. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Does it look familiar to you? that a scale-wearing giant falls on his belly and eats dust. And then the really weird part comes because David runs over and then David grabs the sword of Goliath and then David does the rated R thing. Go ahead, get it over with. It's going to hurt this time. Oh, and then cuts his head off. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on. This is in Genesis 3. He will crush your head. Now, isn't that interesting? All right, you guys, thank you, David and Goliath. You are done for the day. You're off duty. Give it up for David and Goliath. You see, Goliath 
is dying, I think. Well, first of all, Goliath is a picture of a serpent in this passage. He's a picture of a serpent. Or, or in another sense, he's a picture of Satan in this passage. And, and I think David, if you look at David, David has an important role in this as well. David, I think, this is just me, but I think that David is actually a really powerful picture of Jesus in this story. Because David is a mediator in this story. See, David steps forward and says, I will take on Goliath. Don't worry, you Israelites. And the Israelites, the scriptures say, they're frozen with fear and they are terrified. And, and David steps in between and says, I will mediate this for you. I've got this. And when you look at the story of David and Goliath, we're neither David or Goliath in the story, really. We're the Israelites. We're dismayed and we're terrified in the story. And perhaps we are many times in life. That's us. And you see, it's Jesus who steps in and intercedes when we're dismayed and we're terrified. In fact, David goes on to become a king. And then later after David, it said that an even greater king's coming. It's the Messiah. And that is Jesus. And Jesus goes to a cross. And Jesus dies on a cross to intercede for us. And then he raises again from the dead. And in that moment, Jesus defeats death. And in that moment, Jesus stomps on Satan's head. That's what happens. Paul writes in Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And this is the good news, folks. The good news that we don't have to be David and defeat Goliath. The good news that Jesus already has and is for us. You know, the question for us all is, see, we have to have the faith to believe that. And the kind of faith that we have to have is the faith of a child. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for these old stories, God, that we've heard again and again and again, and you seem to breathe new life into them, and they apply so deeply to our lives. We just thank you for that. God, above anything, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that we have a mediator and his name's Jesus, and he would mediate for us anytime, any day, no matter the number. It's who Jesus is. God, we thank you that Jesus has been the one to stomp on Satan's head so we don't have to. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.